good. Hey, hi everybody. Good to see all of you. I am glad to see that you are here and I'm glad for all the views of you who are gathered online as well. Thrilled that you're a part of this too. Um, I got to admit something. Um, I have this, I, I guess I'm going to call it a sense of urgency. I got some things that I want to share out of Second Corinthians, uh, certainly, but there's a sense of urgency about this and I'm not sure exactly why. Um, maybe it's just one of those things where I'm learning some things and I could just hardly wait to share it with everyone. But at the same time, I also have the sense that the Lord is asking something of us as individuals and as a congregation. And I need, need to tell you, because this has been a growing sense in my spirit, as we're going into the new year, which, by the way, is only about eight or nine weeks away. Boy, it went by quick, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, we are hustling through uh, 2022. I only wish 2020 were that quick, right? Because that one just lasted forever. But uh, here we are kind of moving towards the end of, of 22 and moving into 23. I have this sense, this growing sense in my spirit that God is asking us to double down on our disi- discipleship. And, and here's what I mean by that. That he wants to be more connected with us. And and I'm, I'm going to speculate a little bit, although it's kind of an educated speculation. If you've followed any amount of economic news, um, what I would call real economic news, not necessarily the stuff that gets published, we're in for some rough times. And uh, there's a good chance that we're already in those rough times. Um, but I think things are potentially going to be worse as this year becomes next year. And there's, there's some reasons for this, but ultimately speaking, we're all going to need somebody to trust in. And what God is suggesting to us, I believe, is start now. Start trusting in me now. Start um, doubling down on that relationship that we have. So I don't know what that means for you, but I know that for me, it's a reminder that I need to be more connected, trying to be closer to God, especially as we go through some of these times, because it's, it's going to get a little weird, folks, and uh, we've not seen anything yet, um, midterm elections aside, but there's, there's some things that are coming that I'm, I'm very concerned about, but I have to remind myself that God's still on the throne, and I need to be connected to that and that idea, because he's a good, good father, right? We just sang it, and now we get a chance to actually put that into practice and believe it. One thing to say it, it's another thing to actually do it. So to that end, um, uh, we're going to be talking in about uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I invite you to turn there with me if you have a Bible or Bible app. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I'm going to um, uh, make some comment as we kind of read through this a little bit. So uh, if, you, uh, if you have that, you might want to spend some time. We'll move around a couple of other places, but for the most part, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read verse 1 here. <clears throat> Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now I'm going to hit pause right here um, at the very outset. I have to be honest, when I was reading through this earlier, uh, this particular verse caught my attention. I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it, that the lockdowns related to the pandemic changed everything. It affected church attendance. <laughs> it's affected job attendance. I, I mean, it, just, it has just affected everything. In fact, um, I, I'm not sure why this is, but 
uh, we were just on vacation a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know how many restaurants we went to where they just didn't have enough help. I, I, I simply don't understand what people are doing if they're not working. I don't, I, 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 how are you paying rent? I mean, I'm not sure how this, this all uh, pans out, but it wasn't just a, a particular area. It was everywhere we went. In fact, we went to one spot. It was a mom and pop kind of a diner sort of place. There was exactly two waitresses for probably about 30 tables. And they were hustling. So uh, we tried to be um, extra graceful about our weight and uh, tried to leave a bigger tip <laughs> just to say, hey, you know, we understand what the circumstances are. Um, but the, since we had the lockdowns, things have changed dramatically. And, and certainly church attendance um, has too. When we started Thrive Church, we had about 30 people. In about three years, we grew down close to 100. And then as soon as the lockdowns happen and we reopen, we're right around 40 or so. I mean, it just, it, and, and we're not the only church. There are tons of churches. A lot of you have heard me talk about this in the past. But, but the point is, is that something, something changed. And so um, Dan and I have said to ourselves and to each other several times that we, to remind ourselves that this is not our church. This isn't our church. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't get to lose heart because it's his church. And I just want to declare it one more time just so that you're aware of this. Jesus is the head of Thrive Church. Dan and I and Sophia now too, we, we, just, we just follow what he's telling us to do. And he said very clearly, he's, I'm going to bring the people that I want. Cool. That's awesome. Anytime now, Lord. <laughs> you want to you you invite people and you want to be a part of this, but it's his church. And, and this is the beautiful part of this. If we start looking at um, this as his ministry, it's not that the pressure's off, but the pressure is different. It's his church. He gets to decide the things that he wants to do. We still have to do our part, of course, but the point is, is that it's his ministry. It's his church. And when we begin to see... Um, any assignment that we have, any assignment that he gives, the pressure is off us and it's on him because it's his. My job is to simply listen, respond, and to trust. And to trust. Now all of that said, by the way, this is a great time to invite your friends to Thrive Church. <laughs> I'm going to continually you know, promote that. Um, if you've got friends with kids, Kids ministry is up and running. Sophia's doing a great job. She's got a really cool crew back there. Be a really good time to do that, especially this fall moving into, into the Christmas season. So keep that in mind. But it's the idea of losing heart. And, and there are times when in our humanness we're going to lose heart. But it's God's mercy that has brought us here. And I think we need to remind ourselves of that and so this is this is his we get to follow him here's verse two rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways we do not use deception nor do we distort the word of god well i'm glad of that on the contrary by setting forth the truth plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of god now Paul has spent a couple of chapters in the early parts of 2 Corinthians defending his ministry and some of the ministry decisions that he's made, just for a little bit of context here. And he's actually trying to set himself up against other well-meaning Christians 
who may have taken some things too far, who have may employed certain marketing practices that aren't necessarily congruent with the word of God. All right, let's put it that way. So we've got this, um, I, I wouldn't call them rivals because they're not really rivals, but we do have these camps within Christendom because every time you get human beings together, you get politics. Have you noticed this? It doesn't matter what the organization is, but there's always some type of political element to it. And the church, even the early church, was no different. So he spends a lot of his time uh, defending some of his ministry decisions, and he sets himself, more or less, um, against other preachers, perhaps, and he just tries to lay the truth out plainly. Plainly. So verse three and four. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now this is where I want to camp today, is on this uh, particular passage. And there's a couple of things that I, I really want to point out. So if you have your journal, you're going to probably want to uh, jot a couple of these things down. Um, but we're going to be moving here. First part is the idea of the God of this age, okay? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Now, who's he talking about here? Well, in order to understand this, we need a little bit of, uh, I guess I'll call it context, but there's an idea here about time. We need to understand ancient conceptions of time. Now, I promise to not make this too technical, okay? because this would be really easy for everybody to glaze over and start thinking about lunch. Um, but there is some, some ideas about time that are really useful as we begin to understand this. The Greek, the Western understanding of time, frankly, the, the view of time that we have even to this day, is that time is cyclical. There are certain patterns that continually emerge time and time again as we move throughout history, okay? So think of it kind of like, um, kind of like this. As time moves along, there's certain patterns that develop. And we see these over and over again. This is a very Greek understanding of time. Now I'm simplifying this so that it's not too technical. Um, but recently I heard uh, something that I think, I think illustrates this really well. Maybe you heard it too. Strong men bring good times. Good times bring weak men, weak men bring bad times, and bad times bring strong men. Have you heard this? I've heard this a couple of times, just recently. And I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. Um, and there's quite a bit of discussion about what kind of times we're in right now and what kind of uh, people we are producing. I'll let you decide what you think about that. More academically, there are two uh, individuals, William Strauss and uh, Neil Howe, who wrote this amazing little book called The Fourth Turning. And they uh, looked through American history and they began to see certain patterns that happen approximately every hundred years or so. Every few generations, every four generations to be exact, uh, certain patterns began to emerge, and their um, argument is that we're heading into what's called a fourth turning, which is characterized by people beginning to mistrust institutions and arise in conflict. Sound familiar? And they say this is a very predictable pattern within um, American culture over the last 200 plus years. 
And so now we think it's all scary and I'm not sure really what's coming down the, the pike and, and depending on your side of the aisle, it's the, you can blame the other ones. It's all happened before, at least in the case of these two uh, researchers. But it is true that we're beginning to mistrust some of our, some of our well-established institutions. There's a pretty strong argument to be made that certain government-related agencies have lost all credibility in the last few years. And I can't help but remember Ronald Reagan's words. The scariest nine words in the English language is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) But we don't. We don't trust these things anymore. And that's been a long time coming, but it just illustrates the point that there's a uh, cyclical pattern that's happened before and, it's, and it uh, will likely happen again. And so we see this kind of cyclical nature of time. I like this uh, quote by Mark Twain. He says, history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. Right? We don't necessarily see the exact same thing, but boy, there's some similarities between these cyclical patterns that we see within, within history. Now, interestingly enough, first century Jews saw time very differently. So we're talking about a Greek Western, and now we're talking about a more Eastern Jewish understanding of time. And the Jews would divide it into two things. You have this age, and you have the age to come. It's a little more simple, um, and it uh, um, probably isn't as academic, but it's still an important understanding. There's this age, the one that we live in, and then there's the age to come, and they don't necessarily understand it. They don't feel like they have to understand it to a certain extent because there's so much going on in this age. And so early Christians um, who had been reared as Jews added a nuance because of Jesus, and it looked like this. This age and the age to come um, have crossed together. The age to come has crashed into this particular age, and that happened with Jesus. And the age to come will be fully inaugurated once Jesus comes again. And so right now, you are in between this age and the age to come. You are here, so to speak. Some people call this the already but not yet. It is already the age to come, but not quite, not all the way. There's still some elements of this particular age. And of course, this is Paul's view. Paul is the one who um, outlines this in several places uh, within, within his letters that he's, that he's written. And so this age is dominated by the work of Satan, and it all started in the garden with a snake. That's where it began. And because of that, sin and suffering have entered the world because of Adam's decision in that moment. And Paul calls him the God of this age, Upshot is, it's not forever. He's the God of this age, but it's not forever. And of course, the age to come um, happens fully when Jesus returns and he puts everything to right. And so when we occupy that space between this age and the age to come, this place that we are now, it's the meantime. And in the meantime, we get we get to push back the darkness. We get to alleviate suffering. We are able to offer forgiveness for the people who need it. And by the power of the Spirit deposited within us as a pledge, remember last week, because of that power, we get to engage with God in bringing about the age to come. What a cool thought that is. 
By the way, that's what Paul and others call the kingdom of God. The age to come is the fullness of the kingdom of God. It's kind of exciting when you see it illustrated like this. But the other thing we need to look at in this passage is the other piece. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. (coughs) Excuse me. The activity of the evil one has multiple effects. But I'll be honest, this is the big one. This is the big one, the blinded mind. And it's interesting to me that not much has really changed in the last 2,000 years. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and he saw um, the blindedness of the minds of people. And yet, we still have the same problem. I mean, for crying out loud, folks, we can't even agree on a definition of men and women. Now, I want to be careful here because I want to try to be somewhat respectful because it's really easy to tell jokes at this point. But I have to be honest. That whole discussion has become completely absurd to me. I'm sorry, but men and women are a matter of biology, not a matter of social construct, okay? I just, I have a real problem with that. And, and it, it reminds me of several places within the Bible itself, one of which is in Isaiah. Here it is. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When you start messing things up, woe to you. That's a problem. And I think this is what Paul had in mind when he wrote um, to his apprentice uh, Timothy. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, and so on and so forth, ad nauseum. I have a hard time with simple definitions like that. (coughs) Pardon me. The other thing that I found, I find most troubling is the fact that, hold on, (coughs) socialism is now seen as an alternative, a viable alternative to an economic system. Um, please make no mistake. There is no system on earth that has impoverished more people or has killed more people than socialism. I think the estimate is that um, Adolf Hitler killed some six million Jews, but when you add up what the Russians, Soviets, sorry, the Soviets, and the, um, the Maoist Chinese killed, the estimate is closer to 100 million. Let's be honest about this. That we're not just talking about, um, you know, some Nordic countries. We are talking about a system that impoverishes people at its very core, and on top of it, it kills those who dissent. Thank you very much. My daughter was in a college class <clears throat> Uh, at a Christian university, uh, happened to be a business class, and the professor actually said, oh, socialism is not that bad. I'm sorry, what? I could get fired up about that one, so I'm just going to leave that one alone. 
blinded minds dramatically illustrated. The other one that strikes me is cancel culture. I'm sorry, but if people, if I disagree with people, that doesn't mean I hate them. That just aggravates me, no end. Um, We have freedom of speech, and it it seems to be watered down or cut by technocrats with a completely different ideology, and the flow of information that seems to be happening or the lack of flow of information is serious and it's getting worse all the time. And again, here we are beginning to question certain institutions and there's reasons for that. And now I'm not a very good conspiracy theorist, but after a while, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it sounds like a conspiracy, you know? Eventually we get to that point and we're, we're having to, to deal with some of these things. And anyway... And I hate to say this too, but Christianity seems to have lost its prophetic voice in all of this, and now we're reduced to a voting block. How much fun is that? Blinded minds. Now let me offer a couple of thoughts on this before we get uh, too far down the negative, and I get too fired up and... There's the God of this age and the blindness that he brings. And, and I think there's some things that we need to, to understand here. First of all, we have to understand that the battlefield is the mind. Let's start with that idea first. We're talking about thinking. How we think determines very often how we behave. And so I think blindness can come from several different places. Um, This is just me musing. There might be a few more. These are the ones that seem pretty obvious to me. But first of all, I think blindness comes from ignorance. Can we we just start with that one? That one seems fairly fairly easy. Um, There are just some things that we we don't know. We don't know what we don't know, okay? So, So there is a certain amount of ignorance. We may not fully understand something. And this is why uh, community is such a big deal especially multi-generational community for those who have gone before and to learn from them and vice versa, this is why community becomes very important is because it helps mitigate ignorance. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean that somebody in your circle of friends or your circle of acquaintances, um, they don't know. I mean, there's, there's a good chance that they have you know, a thought or a perspective or something that you don't understand about it. So blindness can come from ignorance. I think blindness can also come from misinformation. Boy, we've seen that multiple times over the last decade or more. It just reminds me that Satan is the father of lies. Very clear about this. Here's the interesting thing about about a really good lie. There's just enough truth in it to make it credible. And so I think sometimes blindness comes from misinformation things that we consume or things that we see that change our thinking might not be 100% true, but just enough to be credible. Blindness can also come from faulty beliefs. 
certain things that have been baked into us. By the way, toxic shame um, shows up here when you have that notion of that you are somehow unworthy of love. I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not whatever it happens to be. That's the voice of toxic shame, and it's a little tape that plays over and over in your head, some recording that somebody else gave you. That's a faulty belief. Now, the fact of the matter is that you, you may not have the right skills. You also may not have the right attitude. You may have some things that you need to work on. That's why we like to say around here, come as you are, but don't stay that way, right? <clears throat> it's an important piece of, of what we you know, understand Christianity uh, to be. There may be some things that you need for transformation because <laughs> the scripture is really clear. Jesus didn't come to make you better. He came to make you new. And so sometimes what happens when we have this blindness to ourselves, it's because we have some faulty beliefs. Either we believe two, uh, what's the word I want? It's almost like two sides of a spectrum. I'm just thinking, kind of thinking out loud here, but you've got this side where <clears throat> I'm so bad that I'm not worthy of God's love. Lie from the pit of hell. Get rid of that one. Or on the other hand, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. No, we're actually not. That's why we have Jesus. There's, there's some problems there, and Jesus is the remedy to that. We need salvation. We're still people in need of a Savior. So really, the truth is often in between. Okay. So, the battlefield is in the mind. I think that's the first thing, and we have to deal with thinking. Um, which is why I think Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. But he, he's really clear. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Now here's the difference. Change happens when you're acted upon by something from the outside. Transformation is something that happens internally. And this is what he's saying. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. You don't want to have a blind mind. There has to be something that takes place on the battlefield of the mind. We have to replace the faulty thoughts with the actual truth and figure out how to reorient our thinking to the kingdom of God. And there's a couple of ways to do this, okay? First of all, you probably ought to uh, ask, what does the word of God say about something like this? Because there's a very good chance God included something like whatever it is you're dealing with in his word. The second place is... <laughs> this is where it gets really interesting, is what is he actually telling you specifically? You are listening, right? What's he actually saying to you? Well, he's not saying anything to me. Go listen harder, because I think he is actually speaking to all of us. I think he starts in, in, in his word, but I do think that he speaks to us through other people, and sometimes he just speaks to our hearts directly. It happens both ways. So what is he actually saying to you? Uh, this is really an important kind of thing. There's this idea of renewing the mind. Now, I, I think I heard Bill Johnson say this um, not too long ago. It really kind of struck me. Trust is a matter of the heart. And so what God wants from all of us is trust. And so what we have to do is renew our mind so that we trust more. Because sometimes our thinking, we leave, how do I want to say this? This is incomplete, but I think you'll understand what I mean. 
the faulty thinking in our heads affects the level of trust in our heart. Does this make sense? Got a little quiet in here all of a sudden. But I think this is something that's really important. I've noticed in my own life, when I don't have a trusting heart, there's usually something going on up here. And yes, I have conversations in my head all the time. And so sometimes God has to change my thinking in order for me to increase my trust. Trust is the currency of the kingdom of God. You're going to hear that one from time to time. Trust is the currency of the kingdom of God. And so every time we deal with matters of discipleship, when we deal with matters of relationship with God, God simply wants more trust. Why? Because he's the only thing in the universe that's trustworthy. He wants our trust. But sometimes we need to renew our mind, renew our thinking in order to increase the level of trust that's in our heart. That's a rocket right there. If you didn't write that one down, you probably ought to. Because if you notice, when you're beginning to question God, and we all do it, let's just be honest, when we really question about some of the things that are going on, God, I don't understand this. Mm -hmm. God wants our trust. So what's going on up here? I always presume it's me in the relationship when it comes to God, right? It's not him being unclear. It's usually my understanding of what he's up to. And so I need to change my thinking and reorient it back to the kingdom of God in order to increase the levels of trust that's in my heart. And finally, here we have Ephesians chapter 6. This one has stuck with me for a number of years. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, this dark world, this age, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There's a battle that's going on between light and darkness. And so when we look at people and we make them our enemies, we run into some trouble there because it's not really, it's what's going on underneath the surface. So what's going on underneath the hood? Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't evil actors in the world who are doing things that need to be stopped. I'm not suggesting that at all. But overall, overall, our attitude should be that people are not our enemy. People are worth saving. That's why Jesus came. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying, I'm saying it's very difficult to do that. But the battle that we wage is not necessarily with people. They're not the enemy. We must ask the Holy Spirit for insight. God, what's going on here? Why is there conflict between us? What's happening underneath the surface? What is it that I'm not seeing? God, give me some insight, some guidance into this. When in conflict, what's going on inside? That's the ultimate question. <laughs> and by the way, it's a really good idea to start with yourself. Let me see if I can explain that. <clears throat> Jesus made this comment once. Here's the reason why. Jesus made this comment. Before you worry about the speck in your brother's eye, start with a log in your own. 
when you want to understand conflict, when you want to understand, what's the word I'm looking for? The confusion, when you want to understand the discomfort that you have, always start with yourself and your relationship with God first. What's going on with you? And there's, there's a very practical reason for this. Number one, you can't control other people. Well, you can try, but good luck with that. The only person you have control over is yourself. And so the first place that we always start when we're dealing with spiritual matters is within our own hearts and our own minds. What is it that's going on in my heart? Is there a lack of trust here? If that's the case, then what's going on in my head? What are the faulty beliefs? What's the misinformation? What are the lies that I'm believing? What is it that's happening inside of me? Oh God, help me to see me first. Once you take care of yourself, then you're allowed to ask about the other. Now please understand, Jesus was clear. He said, before you deal with the speck, deal with your own log. But he never let the speck off the hook, did he? No. Because there's two, there's two sides to this. There's things that are going on in the, in, uh, in the relationship between people. Then you ask about the other. But please understand, the person is not your enemy. The problem is the problem. The person is not the enemy. They bear the image, the imprint of God, the Imago Dei, and he made them in his own image. And so every person we meet has incredible value to God, and they need to have value to us. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes there are some people, mm, I have those, you have those, we all have them. The question is, am I going to trust? Am I going to trust God in this? That that person that I'm so upset with and so angry with, does that person have value to God? I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying this is what God calls us to. I don't want to have my mind blinded by the God of this age. but rather I want to be kingdom-oriented and to trust God and see things that only he can do happen. And I want to tell those stories because as we do that, we begin to usher in the age to come. We begin to see the kingdom of God. Man, there's just an awful lot in those two phrases. I want you to learn how to fight well. I want you to push back the darkness effectively because there's a lot of it around. And we must understand what it is we're up against. And we, we must understand where to look first. Here's the pro tip, right? Start with yourself. Start with your own mind, what's going on up there, what's happening inside your own heart. Those are the places where we begin and then we flow out of there. Revival always starts in, inside and works its way out. So we have to start with ourselves. And by the way, that is not selfish. That's just truth. Check in with God. These are important things as we go into a rough season.
But at the same time, you have to see it as hopeful. Because there's a God who loves you enough to let you know we're going into a rough season and you can trust me. That's what he's saying to all of us. And I really sense that that's why he's calling us to double down on our relationship with him, to try to connect in with him a little bit more, to lean in, to press into that relationship. I don't know what that means for you. For me, it's going to involve a little more time in my journal and listening a little bit more. God, what are you saying? What are you, what are you guiding me towards? What do you... What do you want to say to Thrive Church? Where, where is it that you want us to go? All those questions, they're good ones. And so I just encourage you as you um, think about this new year already, as you begin to make preparations for the uh, holiday season, because I just saw a whole bunch of bats and dragons and monsters at Lowe's right next to Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, because apparently you can't start Christmas too early these days, at least not in retail. But as you begin to make preparations for the new year, it's a really good time to pause and reflect and just say, okay, Lord, what's going on with me? What's going on with you? Where are we going next year? Let's pray. Lord, um, you're so good to us. You are, you're just good. <laughs> you're just good. I like saying that out loud to remind myself, to remind others, that you're good and we can trust you. And Lord, my prayer for every person here is that they would have the courage to look inward. It's so easy to blame others. But God, oftentimes the thinking that's faulty is our own. And so my prayer is that we would listen to you and if we need to be convicted, we need to be convicted. But Heavenly Father, I pray against the voice of shame that would say that we're just not good enough to hear you because that's not true. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and that you would speak to people very directly and very clearly in such a way that they would know that it's you, that you would manifest your presence. Every single Sunday we pray that no person would walk out of here without, without experiencing your presence in some way, shape, or form. And I pray, Lord, that you would just stay with us, that we would have an abiding sense of your presence, a daily sense that you are with us, that you love us, that you're guiding us and leading us. And yeah, there's some things that you're, you're going to want to deal with, but you're good. And it's in our best interest to deal with those things. I pray, Lord, that we would not be blinded to by the God of this age, but rather have open eyes, deep insight, and unquenchable hope for a future that you preside over. Bless these people in their endeavors to follow you. We're going to thank you in advance for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.